Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Crime Couch. I'm your host, Kaylee, and today we're going to be talking about the murder of Travis Alexander. He was murdered by his former ex-girlfriend, Jody Arias, and this story is full of selfishness, jealousy, and outright anger. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. Travis Victor Alexander was born on July 28, 1977, in Riverside, California. After his father passed away, Alexander and his siblings were taken in by their grandmother, who eventually was the one to introduce them to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Alexander was a salesman at the time for the multi-level marketing company Prepaid Legal Services, and he also worked as a motivational speaker. Jody Ann Arias was born on July 9, 1980, in Salinas, California. Arias was a carefree aspiring photographer from Palm Desert, California when she met Alexander, a motivational speaker, salesman, and devout Mormon from Mesa, Arizona. The pair had met at a company convention in Las Vegas in September of 2006, and at the time, Arias was looking for opportunities in network marketing. The pair seemed to have hit it off and started a long-distance relationship for a few months. As of February 2nd, 2007, Alexander and Arias were officially a couple. Friends of Alexander said the pair were smitten with each other and had a potent chemistry. Alexander had been deeply involved in his faith, and Arias was not Mormon. However, on November 26th, 2006, Arias was baptized into the Latter-day Saint faith by Alexander himself, according to the Salt Lake Tribune. Unbeknownst to his friends, the two were having premarital sex, which goes highly against one of the most important principles of the Mormon faith. Friends said he felt guilty about their relationship, and it began weighing on him. Soon after, friends told ABC News that they were concerned when their relationship became volatile. One friend said that Arias showed obsessive signs early on and after five months together, they broke up. Despite the breakup, Arias moved to Mesa to be closer to Alexander, but friends told ABC they were baffled. They said she'd show up at his house because she knew the code without him knowing. At one point, Alexander revealed to his friends that Arias had snuck into his house through a doggy door. Despite his complaints, one friend said he would be angry and then other times would jump into bed with her. During the same time this was happening, Alexander actually began dating another woman, despite Jody stalking him. Soon after, Alexander had his car tires slashed and this new woman would end up getting random knocks on her door and when she would answer, nobody would be there. Friends would later learn that while Alexander was dating his new love interest, he was allegedly still communicating with Arias and engaging in intimate behavior over text and phone. Alexander had scheduled a trip to Cancun, Mexico on June 4th of 2008 with a new woman he had been pursuing at the time. He also ended up missing an important conference call on the night of the 4th at 7 p.m. On June 9th, having been unable to reach Alexander for a few days, people from his work at prepaid legal services went to his home to check on him, but his roommates said he was out of town. After some searching, they found a key to Alexander's master bedroom, and when they entered it, they noticed large pools of blood in the hallway leading to the master bathroom, where his body was discovered lying lifeless in the shower. 
Since Alexander's body was found many days after the murder, he had already began decomposing in the shower. Alexander had been shot in the head, repeatedly stabbed, and had his throat cut from ear to ear. The crime scene photos are actually posted on Murderpedia.org, and I accidentally came across them. I highly encourage you to take caution if you choose to look them up. A camera, believed to belong to Arius, was recovered from the washing machine of Alexander's house, and it looked to have gone through the wash cycle, which led police to believe that it was an attempt to get rid of any photo evidence. Images recovered from that device appeared to show Alexander immediately before his murder, as well as a picture that appeared to show a subject on the floor of the bathroom bleeding profusely. Only days before the murder, on May 28, 2008, a robbery occurred at the residence of Arias's grandparents, with whom she was living in in Eureka, California at the time. A 25 caliber gun was stolen along with other various items, and the grandparents' gun was never recovered. It was discovered, though, that Alexander was shot with the same type of gun, and later on, the prosecutors argued that the burglary was staged by Arias and the stolen gun was used to shoot Alexander. A spent 25 caliber round was located near one of the sinks in the master bath, and a bloody palm print was also located in the bathroom hallway, which DNA evidence revealed to be a mixture of Arias's and Alexander's DNA. Arias also continued to insist that she had last seen Alexander in April of 2008, despite being presented with DNA and photographic evidence by Detective Esteban Flores. The 911 call that friends made notifying authorities of the discovery mentioned an ex-girlfriend, who was Arias, who Alexander said was stalking him, hacking into his Facebook account, and slashing his tires. Several days before the trip, Arias repeatedly contacted her ex-boyfriend, a different man, named Daryl Brewer, asking to borrow two five-gallon gas tanks for a trip to Arizona. Leading up to the day of the murder, on June 2nd of 2008, Arias rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California, about 100 miles south of where she lived. She told the budget rent-a-car staff that she would be the only one driving the car and it would only be driven around locally, but when the car was returned on June 7th, it had been driven about 2,800 miles. It was also missing all of its floor mats and there were what looked to be Kool-Aid stains in the front and rear seats, but unfortunately, the car was cleaned before police were able to examine it. Arias made a stop at an Arco gas station in Pasadena, California, where she purchased about 8 gallons of gasoline with her debit MasterCard, and 4 minutes later purchased another 10 gallons of gas with cash. The MasterCard was used again on June 6, 2008, three times at a Tesaro gas station in Salt Lake City, at a Pilot Flying J travel center in Winnemecca, Nevada, and a 7-Eleven in Sparks, Nevada. Ryan Burns and others who met Arias in Utah after the killing indicated that she had bandages on her hands and she wore long sleeves on the days that it was very hot. She told multiple different stories about how she received the cuts on her hands and Burns was told that they were from an injury while working at a Margaritaville restaurant. And at the trial, it was revealed that there was no such restaurant that exists or ever existed in the area. At the time of the killing, she actually worked at Casa Ramos in Eureka. On June 5th of 2008, West Jordan, Utah police officer Michael Galetti pulled Arias over while she was in the rented vehicle driving to meet with Burns. The front license plate of the car was missing and the rear plate was upside down, 
Arius attributed this to some kids at Starbucks who were trying to play a trick on her. Burns ended up helping her fix the license plate, and Galetti did not cite her for the infraction. Arius was indicted by a grand jury on first-degree murder charges on July 9th of 2008, and then arrested at her grandparents' home on July 15th. She was then extradited to Arizona on September 5th, where she pleaded not guilty on September 11th. At first, Arius gave three different accounts of her whereabouts at the time of the murder. She originally told police that she had not been in the home at the time of Alexander's death. She then later told police that two intruders had broken into his home and that they murdered him and attacked her. Finally, she stated that she killed Alexander in self-defense and she was a victim of domestic violence. Between the time of Alexander's death and before his body was discovered, Arius had continued to call him and had left him several voicemail messages, and it was later alleged that she actually accessed his voicemail messages after his death. She then said that Alexander had originally planned to visit her in May of 2008, but his plans had changed. In March of 2009, there were expressed concerns about possible violations of victim rights, and in May, the court could also not determine whether IQ testing and or competency screening had been ordered already, so they went ahead and ordered that Arias submit to an IQ test and that she should be tested for competence before the trial starts. In August, Victoria Washington and Kirk Nurmi were appointed as her defense counsel, and they replaced Maria Schaefer. In September, a defense motion to extend the last day beyond March 3, 2010, but it was denied, and then in November, another motion was granted after the state did not file a response, and the last day was set to August 31, 2010. In April of 2010, a motion to disqualify the Maricopa County Attorney's Office was also denied. In December, after a rule of the Arizona Rules of Criminal Procedure was amended, changing the last day in capital cases from 18 to 24 months for arraignment, the state sought the death penalty. And in January of 2011, a defense filing detailed the efforts Arya's attorneys went to obtain text messages and emails. Initially, the prosecution told the defense attorneys that there was no available text messages sent or received by Alexander, but then they ended up being ordered to turn over several hundred messages. Mesa Police Detective Esteban Flores told defense attorneys that there was nothing out of the ordinary in Alexander's emails, but about 8,000 were turned over to the defense in June of 2010. In March, the court ruled that the Office of the Public Defender did not have unlateral authority to dismantle the defense team. The trial finally began on December 10th of 2012 in Maricopa County Superior Court before Judge Sherry K. Stevens. During jury selection on December 20th, Arya's defense attorneys argued that the prosecution was systematically excluding women and African Americans, while prosecutor Juan Martinez defended his decision by saying that race and sex were irrelevant to his decision to strike certain jurors. Judge Stevens then ruled that the prosecution had shown no bias in the jury selection. The opening arguments started on January 2, 2013, and prosecutor Juan Martinez immediately sought the death penalty due to the nature of the crime. There were two appointed counsel who represented Arias, who argued that Alexander's death was a justifiable homicide committed in self-defense. Arias actually took the stand in her own defense on February 4, 2013, testifying for a total of 18 days, which was an unprecedented length of time. On the first day of her 18th day testimony, she told the entire court that she was being violently abused by her parents beginning when she was approximately 7 years old. This led Arias to testify that her relationship with Alexander became increasingly physically and emotionally abusive, 
some of which caused Travis's sister to continuously roll her eyes and shake her head in disbelief. Arya said that Alexander shook her while saying, I'm sick of you, while also doing things like screaming at her, body slamming her to the floor and at the foot of his bed, and taunting her by telling her it doesn't hurt and calling her names. Afterwards, Arya said, he went to kick me again, and I put my hand out. Arya's held her left hand up in the courtroom to show that her ring finger was crooked. According to Arius, the dysfunction of their relationship reached its climax when she killed Alexander in self-defense after he became enraged following a day of sex and a gun accident, forcing her to fight for her life. This was just another account of how Alexander's death had occurred that Arius had offered police, which both prosecutors and observers felt severely damaged Arius's credibility as a witness, a sentiment later echoed by jurors upon the completion of the guilt phase. On March 14th, a psychologist named Richard Samuels testified for the defense for nearly six days. He said Arius was likely suffering from an acute stress at the time of the killing, sending her body into a fight or flight mode to defend herself, which caused her brain to stop retaining memory. Samuels also then proceeded to diagnose Aria with post-traumatic stress disorder. Prosecutor Juan Martinez attacked Samuels' credibility, accusing him of forming a relationship with Arius and being biased. Samuels had previously testified he had compassion for Arias, and beginning on March 26th, Alice LaViolette, a psychotherapist who specializes in domestic violence, testified that Arias was a victim of domestic abuse, and that most victims don't tell anyone about the abuse because they feel ashamed and humiliated. LaViolette summarized emails from Alexander's close friends and said that they basically have advised Miss Arias to move on from the relationship and that Mr. Alexander had been abusive towards women. The jury posed nearly 160 questions to La Violette, many of them focusing on Arias's credibility. Then, clinical psychologist Janine Marti testified for the prosecution that Arias did not suffer from PTSD or amnesia and that she found no evidence Alexander had ever abused Arias. Instead, Demarte said Arias suffered from borderline personality disorder showing signs of immaturity and an unstable sense of identity. People who suffer from such disorder have a terrified feeling of being abandoned by others, DeMarte told jurors. In the closing arguments and the last days of the trial on May 4th, Arias's defense argued that the premeditation theory didn't make any sense. There was not enough evidence to prove that it had been planned and looked to be a heat-of-the-moment type murder. In rebuttal, Prosecutor Martinez described the extent and variety of Alexander's wounds. He went into detail about how no evidence was ever discovered that Alexander had even laid a hand on Arius, and that Arius just simply wouldn't leave him alone. On May 8, 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation, Arius was found guilty of first-degree murder, and out of 12 jurors, 5 jurors found her guilty of first-degree premeditated murder, and 7 jurors found her guilty of both first-degree premeditated murder and felony murder. As the guilty verdict was read, Arias struggled to repress tears as Alexander's family smiled and hugged each other. Several people who had gathered outside the courtroom began celebrating by cheering and chanting. Since her sentencing, she has attracted some media attention while in jail. Two of her cellmates did a candid special with Lifetime, and they claimed Arias tried to inject herself into their romantic relationship and somehow managed to run an art business from inside her prison cell. While sitting in jail, Arias used a lot of her time to focus on her artwork, and it was legally impossible to stop her from profiting from her projects. 
Many wondered how Arius was able to orchestrate this operation in the first place. She worked with two auctioneers on eBay at the time, and according to Forbes, her current net worth stands between $1 million and $5 million. Despite being moved several times during her incarceration, today, Jody Arias is being housed in Perryville Prison in Goodyear, Arizona. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Crime Couch. I want to give a special shout out to this week's listener of the week. I'm Crystal Salazar on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you want to be next week's listener of the week, go ahead and head over to our Instagram at the Crime Couch Podcast and give us a follow and like our most recent post. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. On a, on a large one.